and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's episode. I'm recording this prior to heading on a spring break mini trip, and my family is home, so I can't promise there won't be a little bit of extra noise uh, involved, but I've made the request that everybody keep their voice down. So uh, forgive us if there's a little extra. Um, As always, I just want to say thank you for listening. It means a lot to me to um, be able to come and speak to you each week. And I hope that you find the episodes helpful. What we're going to talk today about is thinking about the value that we place on ourselves. I meet many women physicians who struggle with this in different ways. And I know it's certainly been an issue for me as well. If you listen to um, my guest interview on Sarah Smith's podcast, Sustainable Clinical Medicine, which came out in uh, March of 2023, I talked about my early days in family medicine residency. Even within that early stage of training, I had already decided at that time that I wasn't the smartest doctor in the room and that my skills were good, but not great. Notice that I said here that I decided that this was true. And in deciding that this was true, what I started to do was to believe that my patients deserved to have something better. The combination of me being in training and, you know, therefore sort of slow and inexperienced, along with my belief that I was middling at best in diagnostic skills, led me to concluding that the value I gave to patients would be my time, more time and attention so that they would feel that the visit was valuable to them. Now, I didn't, you know, hate myself or think that I was completely incompetent. I just had decided that what I could give them was not enough. And because I believed that you know, this was the value that I provided that more time with them, you know, uh, more time than they would have with a quote unquote good doctor. I'm using air quotes here. Um, you know, if I gave them more time, then, you know, that would, that would be enough. And, you know, so I tried to handle more concerns and questions. And of course I ran farther and farther behind. You see where this is going as training progressed you know, of course the visits got shorter. We had to see more patients per half day of clinic. We precepted less frequently, you know, and so some things did get faster, but this underlying belief was still there that I owed people more of my time. It didn't change. I wasn't running as far behind, but I was still giving them more time than what was allotted on the schedule. And of course this persisted beyond training. And like many of the physicians that I talk to now, it created my own trap. I was popular as a physician. I had high patient satisfaction scores. I always had a panel that was over full. 
you know, I was still running late and, you know, I struggled to make changes, you know, with any of that really, because underneath it all, even with being popular and having high patient satisfaction, I believed that my value was still connected to how much time I spent with my patients. So if I tried to shorten the visits, I, you know, would feel like I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't giving enough because I had decided that my brain with all of my knowledge and skills and training was still not enough to provide value. I continued to give them the additional time. Let me share some other versions of this and see if anything resonates with you. Believing that you can't have very many templates pre-charted, especially for your assessment and plans that you see for common conditions, because if you aren't typing up beautiful, thoughtful, fresh text on each patient each time, you aren't doing enough to be, you know, billing for your fee. Believing that your time and skill isn't worth adding the extra level of service for an office visit during a wellness exam even though you did the work. Not delegating tasks when you have available staff because mm, they seem busy and you can just fax it yourself or you know set up for the procedure yourself, et cetera. Now, of course, this part has been a challenge in many places because of staffing shortages, but I leave it on the list because it's still a struggle for many in places where staffing is adequate. We may not be delegating enough. Not setting an agenda when the patient comes in with their list of 17 items. Not finishing notes because you aren't sure what is going on and you plan to do, again, air quotes here, research later um, before finishing your note to avoid shame at not knowing the answer. Now, I'm not saying here that we never need to look things up or you know, that research wouldn't be helpful. But this is a common belief that we can't close the note and include some kind of documentation that indicates there is diagnostic uncertainty here without having, you know, some elaborate discussion of, you know, all the possible differential items, um, you know, or we can't close the note because we need to, we need to learn more about this thing now. But, you know, of course we, uh, we leave the note open, right? We can't finish it now, we believe. Um, But then later in the day, we're tired, you know, we can't, we don't have time to do the research and we push the note out further and further and further. This leads, of course, to open notes. It leads to delayed billing, a whole lot of extra stress because we don't stop thinking about it. We keep shooting on ourselves, right, that we should be doing more research rather than close the note and, you know, say, you know, we aren't sure what's going on here, but we're going to take these next steps to figure it out. There's one more example that I want to call out because I'm seeing this very frequently too. Signing up for a group coaching program and either lurking and not getting the help that you want because other people have it harder than you, and then often using this against yourself with thoughts like, "Mm, I should be able to figure this out. So-and-so has a much harder situation. Or... Focusing more on the action steps as they're presented and less on the underlying thoughts and feelings and mindset parts of the work. And then struggling, you know, failing to make any changes, giving up again. Do you see yourself in any of these stories? 
What's common in most of these stories is an underpinning of lacking a belief in your own value. Now, for some of us, of course, this may stem from a childhood of people pleasing and, you know, being praised for being a helper. It may be tied to your culture, your birth order, your gender, growing up in a household with difficult circumstances such as domestic violence, drug or alcohol abuse, generational trauma. This diminished self-valuation may have also come later in life. Maybe you had a failure in your schooling or something else significant, or you didn't match into your desired specialty, or at least not the first time, or you faced legal or disciplinary actions. It doesn't have to come from any of these more intense places either. It may simply come from you being used to having a medical brain that processes patterns quickly or can perform a simple surgery without having to think much about it. And, you know, being surrounded by, you know, people with similar brains and similar skills. In other words, your own value can be diminished just from this familiarity, right? It seems like everyone else around you is capable of doing the same work and therefore it diminishes your own value. Since it doesn't take you much effort to diagnose migraine with aura or perform a colposcopy, you end up thinking that you're not providing very much value. If this is you, and if it's not causing any problems and you're happy and life is good, then great. Uh, I wish you a great day and I'll catch you next time. You can stop listening here. But for many of us, this undervaluing of ourselves is hurting us. It's resulting in undercoding for the work that we're doing, spending more time with patients than what is allotted, not charting in the room so that we don't keep patients waiting, and you know, continuing this notion that you know charting is not part of the care that we're providing and that the, the time allotted per patient doesn't include time for charting, not taking a midday break to you know feed yourself or go to the bathroom or just sit quietly, God forbid, um, writing long responses to patient messages, not delegating simple communication tasks when possible. We can't usually fix those things unless we start to believe that our time and skills are valuable and that taking and that taking care of ourselves throughout the day is important. So often we are so eager to feel valuable, to get more rest and play. But if we're thinking that we don't deserve it, that we haven't earned it, that we need to do more in order to get to that place, we will stay and struggle. And it's not a pleasant place to be. It's exhausting. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. If you've listened to any of the episodes from last month where I talked about habits or other episodes where I've been talking about celebrating your wins, this may seem, this may be why you can't or, you know, won't do it because congratulating yourself on finishing the note immediately seems like too silly, too little of an accomplishment to celebrate. And then we often throw a little layer of shoulding in there. I should know how to do this already right? And we created a little shame storm instead of celebrating our accomplishment and helping ourselves to move forward, you know, with, you know, more positive thoughts about habit change. This can also be why we go out and get additional trainings and certifications. 
We want to feel more valuable to our patients, to our employers. And because we've been so reliant on external validation for so many years, we continue to think that other people can make us feel valuable. But here's the real truth. And I say this both from painful personal experience, as well as from being a student of human emotions and pattern thinking. No one can make you feel valuable if you don't value yourself. Yes, you can get little hits of feeling worthy. People pleasers are conditioned, for example, to get dopamine from helping others, right? It self-reinforces. We keep doing it in order to get those little hits of dopamine. But you won't feel that your skills, knowledge, and expertise are enough by getting praise or another plaque on the wall or more letters after your name. You have to have thoughts in your brain that lead you to the emotional space of feeling valued. And if you have these thoughts regularly, you will rewire yourself to believe them because beliefs, the definition that I love is just thoughts that you have over and over and over again. And often that subconsciously, we're not aware of those thoughts, but if we have thoughts of I'm not enough over and over and over again, subconsciously, we will believe it. I wish that there was an easy, quick path here. And if there was, we would all be on board. But learning to value yourself takes identifying your patterns, including your actions, your beliefs, your thoughts and emotions that add to the sense of a lack of self-value and learning how to change them. Now, this is generally work done with uh, what is called ladder thoughts or bridge thoughts. Um, And I want you to imagine monkey bars, right? We don't often get to jump from thoughts of I'm not enough to believing that we're amazing. But what we can do is we can swing from one monkey bar to the other. If you imagine the thought of I'm not enough as all the way on the far left and the thought I'm amazing all the way on the right, we can swing one rung at a time with thoughts that bridge the space between those two extremes, right? So let's see an example of this. Let's say, like myself, you're in primary care and your patient comes in for their wellness visit, but you know they also have a diagnosis of high blood pressure and they're on some medicine, but they need a medication adjustment. Their blood pressure is not well controlled. And because the blood pressure medicine requires some follow-up labs, we need to order labs and make a follow-up plan. So a visit for high blood pressure that is not yet controlled requires, you know, your professional judgment, medication adjustment, follow-up lab testing that meets criteria for a 99213 office visit, right? A, A very basic office visit, not the lowest level, but middle of the road office visit. And you know this, but you think, if I charge this as an extra level of service on top of the wellness visit, that's going to give them a copay. And here we may have some additional thoughts that the patient's going to be upset about the copay, that the medical problem is really simple and anybody could do this, but there's this current here of undervaluing our work in comparison to the costs accrued by how much we do, right? When we are constantly adding extra 
work onto what is, you know, in front of us in terms of the wellness visit, we are often, you know, cramming in extra time and running more behind and we're not valuing the work that we're doing. Now, it's not likely again here that we're going to jump to thoughts that, you know, we're really impressed with our, with ourselves for the high value that we provide thinking that we are, you know, the next best thing compared to sliced bread. But when we notice the thought that tells us that our work isn't worth the copay, then we might choose instead to think, hmm, it's normal to pay a copay for a doctor's visit. We did the work of documenting the extra medical problem. We determined that a change in therapy was necessary and that follow-up lab, lab testing was needed. We counseled, we discussed the changes with the patient just as we would if they were coming in for a blood pressure medicine check all by itself. And that was the only work that we were doing. But we also did this with a wellness visit, which is what they were scheduled for. And we documented that work just as well. Just because we can think holistically and rapidly and determine that their blood pressure medicine needs adjustment doesn't diminish the work and sorry, it doesn't diminish the work accomplished or the value provided to the patient. And I would argue it actually helps them because otherwise they would have had a separate visit. So we can argue that the copay was going to happen regardless, but we've simply streamlined the visits into one. Thinking it's normal for patients to pay a copay and charging for the extra level of service, recognizing that we did the work and we documented it, moves us along the path. What normally happens for many of us is we do the work anyway, we do all the documentation, we counsel the patient, we order the extra labs, we adjust the medication, and we don't charge for it, right? Because we think it's too straightforward and too simple, even though that would justify a whole visit by itself. So I understand that this visit, this example is very contextualized, and I bring it up because I want to show you the nuance of the bridge thought there that it's normal to pay a copay is moving us along the continuum, right? Of starting to value ourselves, right? We are asking for credit for the work that we've done. And, you know, of course it's possible that the patient complains or is surprised by this. And, you know, we can address it by saying that we prevented the extra visit. So we're giving them more value. Maybe further down the road, we'll even, you know, be more upfront with patients, you know, that extra work can lead to extra cost. They're supposed to receive this information anyway, but of course, many patients blow it off, or maybe sometimes they don't get it. But anyway, that's a different rabbit hole. Um, this is not evil. It is not evil to charge for the work that you do. I don't get to call my accountant without getting billed, you know, by the 15 minute increment. And I'm going to guess that on the other end of the phone, he's not humming and hawing about whether to charge me. He knows that he gets to charge me by 15 minute in increments. So he's happy to talk with me, right? He has no qualms about sending me that bill. We should similarly believe in our own value and charge for the work that we do. Again, this example is very medicalized and very focused on billing, which is not our favorite issue, but this money drama comes up for us a lot, right? And thinking that it's wrong, that we are not doing enough to merit the copay 
is a very frequent example that I see people coming to talk about. So that's why I'm going there with this one. This is just dipping our toes into this problem. But because it's so common for us as caring professionals to minimize the value that we provide, I want to highlight it as an issue because it may be holding you back from where you are struggling. I don't want to suggest that the solution is always as straightforward as the previous example or as clinical. But if your history of undervaluing your worth is deep or filled with traumatic experiences, it's probably not something that you can entangle on your own. It will likely require the help of a skilled therapist or a coach or someone else who can help you to explore these underlying thoughts. I would put in a plug here for someone who's trained in internal family systems work, which is often, you know, a a trained therapist or perhaps a psychologist. Um, But that is a, um, uh, a body of work that is very good at figuring out some of these underlying currents that you may be struggling with. But if you are someone who, you know, has been trying to figure out quote unquote, what's wrong with you has been struggling to make habit changes, has been struggling to, you know, stay on time or get your notes done. If you have been bouncing from program to program, you know, trying to change habits, trying to be more efficient, and you find yourself really struggling, I want to invite you to really stop and consider whether this is the root cause, whether not valuing yourself is part of the problem. Because if you can recognize that that's part of the problem, you can then do something about it. You can learn to think differently. You can learn to create new beliefs. And these things will lead to different emotions and different actions. And since our emotions drive our actions and our actions create our results, you can see how powerful this work can be. I'm going to leave it at that for today. Obviously, this is a topic that could run much, much deeper, and we could probably talk for hours about this. But I just want to introduce that idea, especially if you find yourself looking for answers in different programs or different books, or, you know, kind of not really being able to, to quote unquote, get it when you're trying to make change. If there's an underlying current of believing that you are not worth it, that your situation doesn't merit, um, you know, kind of the help and attention and the mindset work, then you're not going to make progress. And I've definitely, definitely been there. Um, It takes really sort of understanding where this foundation is for you in order to be able to make progress. Okay. I'm cutting myself off there. I'm going to go start packing for our trip. (laughs) So wish me luck. Um, As always, I want to say thank you again for listening. Um, It really does mean a lot to me to uh, be in your ears and to get to come and share this work with you. Um, I'm going to put out a plug that um, healing perfectionism for women physicians will be opening soon. If you want to go to the website, you'll see in the upper left-hand corner, a button called upcoming groups. And that is the place where you can get on the waiting list uh, for when the doors open. 
that is available at www.healthierforgood.com. And um, if you are listening to this and it is no longer April of 2023 and you missed this latest round, that is still the place that you will go to either sign up or be put on the wait list. I hope that you guys all have a great week and until next time, see you later. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.